Welcome back to episode two of uh, what we are now, I think, officially calling the convo. Um, if that's wrong, please someone tell me, and I will cut this out. Today we are having a conversation with Bryn Meacham, who is the county and education reporter for the Sarasota Observer, um, and we talked about online learning uh, and the challenges that uh, both teachers and students and parents have faced, uh, you know, while adjusting to this new normal that everyone has. Um, the dates are a little bit backlogged because uh, we had this conversation last week. For understanding what we're talking about, it's not going to make a difference to you. Uh, we also talk about her dachshund, Piper, uh, who is very cute. I wish we could show pictures, but this is an audio medium. And we finish by talking about some of Bryn's favorite stories uh, from her journalism career. Uh, This is a really fun episode. I enjoyed it a lot, and uh, I hope that translates to your ears. So uh, I will stop talking now and let you get to it. Thanks. We are here once again, and this time Bryn Meacham is our guest. Bryn, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Ryan? I am doing okay. Uh, I'm, this is weird to say, but like, I'm kind of in like a quarantine routine right now. So even though like, it's a nightmare state, (laughs) I feel like sort of comfortable with it. I don't know if you're like, I don't know if it's like Stockholm syndrome or something like that. But No, I'm right there with you. I think I finally figured out my routine, which does not have as much as it admittedly would if it was a normal day. But, you know, I wake up, I go to work, I take my dog on a walk you know, and make dinner. That's about it. How is Piper doing with all this? Um, she is definitely interesting. She is more attention seeking than she normally would be, I think. So I have to take breaks about once an hour to play with her for 10 minutes. So she stops barking long enough for me to do my interviews. But other than that, she's doing really well. She's loving life right now. I'm sure she's so happy to have you at home uh, during all this. So yes. that is definitely one positive, at least for, for her. Um, <laughs> what, what breed, for people that don't know, what, what breed is Piper? Uh, she is a dachshund or a wiener dog, as people like to say. She's very sassy, um, but I love her. Okay, so it's episode two, so uh, it's not like this is a long-running bit or anything, but I like to start each uh, show just kind of by asking, what, what is your desk situation? Is it similar to the setup you have at your office, or is it a little bit different? Or Yeah, so I have a hanging desk, which I installed myself from Ikea. I'm very proud of it, but it's actually not very long. So I work there for about two hours until my arms get tired and then I move to my bed, which I know is not the best thing to do, but it's very tempting. So I'll work there for about an hour and then I'll go back to my desk. I think that's, that's not too bad. As long as it's like a quick jolt of of energy you get from your bed, I think that's totally fine. Well, I appreciate the vote of confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Unfortunately, we are not here to talk about our beds, although I could talk about my bed all day. We today are talking about online learning. Uh, because that is something that has increased a hundredfold since all this started. Um, yeah, so they started online learning, I believe it was ooh, two Wednesdays ago. So yeah, a little over two weeks now that they've been online learning. And this is just for people listening, Sarasota County Schools we're talking about, right? Yes. Um, April 1st, they started, I just remembered. <laughs> and you've written, uh, I know, a, a 
bunch of stories on this topic. You know, I was just curious in the past couple of days since all of this has started, what, what has kind of been the reaction from, from both teachers and parents? Are they kind of happy with how the system's working so far? I think parents are a little apprehensive because a lot of them are worried that they have to help their child with their education and they don't know how they're going to do that with teaching and with, you know, with their work schedules and, you know, parents might have multiple children that they're trying to help through this time. However, a lot of the teachers that I've spoken to have been very positive. They're really trying their hardest to still bring a good education and a good social interaction with their students, even though everybody's in their homes. Have you heard any like nightmare stories of things kind of going wrong for parents or anything like that? Um, I did hear of one story. The parents were Spanish speaking and the teacher was not, and they could not figure out how to use um, a certain program that their child was trying to turn their stories in through, and their child was an elementary age student. And so they tried emailing their teacher, but they weren't really understanding what the teacher was saying. So the teacher tried video conferencing with them, but they couldn't get Zoom to work properly. So they couldn't screen share to show what needed to happen. So it was just a huge mess, but the teacher finally got it solved and the family now is able to turn in their classes or their students' classwork correctly. Well, that's good that they got it worked out eventually. You brought up something interesting there. Is there you know, from what you're hearing, a, a difference in perspective from parents with elementary age children, you know, as opposed to older kids, you know, middle school or high school? Is there a difference in kind of like what they're worried about or anything like that? Yeah, I think with any different age student, there's always going to be some different concerns. And obviously, a younger student is probably going to need a little more guidance and a little more structure in their day. But what a lot of these teachers are asking is that the students really drive their own education, no matter what age level they're at. So even if a student is, say, six or seven, the teachers really want them to be the ones working through their daily work, um, reading on their own, you know, writing their, their journal entries or whatever it may be. They don't want the parents to sit there and help them form their sentence structures. Um, one teacher actually said to me to let the students struggle because that's where they really learn. They're not gonna learn as well if a parent is guiding them hand by hand through the entire um, schooling. Gotcha. Uh, so it sounds like a lot of this work that they're doing is not hands off, but like, I guess the teachers aren't really involved. It's more like worksheets and some research and reading and stuff. Is, is that fair to say or? Partially, they are giving them lessons throughout the day and things that they want them to do. But the teachers also have open class hours. So they are there from the normal workday, eight to three, to help the students, whether it's a video call or working through a problem with them on the phone, whatever they need. And then also teachers will occasionally set up time for the entire class to Zoom together. They don't want to do that too much though, because again, there are families that have multiple kids and they may only have one computer so they don't want to tie students to a certain time that they have to be online not as frequently as they can yeah that's uh that's really interesting that's something i hadn't thought about is is only 
or having, I guess, like a limit on the number of computers in your household? Because I was going to ask you, actually, like, why don't they just do normal classes? Because it seems like teachers could talk to their kids. But I guess if you do have to ration uh, screen time, that does complicate things a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And then there are also families that have, you know, maybe a student in high school and then a student in middle school or a student in elementary school. And a lot of parents right now are, if they have that older child, are still going to work and they're using that older child to kind of help the younger children through. And so they want to make sure that there's not a lot of stress still on the high school student, because if they ask that student to do their normal workday and then ask their siblings to help them through their normal workday, that's a lot of strain that you're putting on a student. Yeah, it's, you know, one of those things that just kind of builds and builds and builds. And <laughs> over a long period of time, I feel like that's probably not going to work. You know, what about from the teacher's perspectives? How are they kind of handling this? I feel like if I was them, you know, just me personally, I would feel like a lack of control, I guess. You want to help, but there's only so much you can do. Absolutely. These teachers that I've talked to have, it's, First, let me just say it's been so great to see the passion and the excitement that they still have for teaching, even in this time where it's just awful to be a teacher, to be honest. Um, a lot of them are trying to do anything that they can. So they're offering email, phone call, texting, Zoom, anything they can to really stay um, in touch with their students. A lot of them are also using a program called Class Jojo, where they can film, you know, funny videos of themselves or just conversations so that the students still have those social interactions with them. Um, a lot of the teachers I spoke to said, you know, these social interactions are maybe some of the only stable adult relationships that these students have. And so they want to make sure that they're still providing them. With that being said, the teachers did say it was very hard on them because they missed their students. They said that their, the interactions with the students is their favorite part of the day. So the fact that they don't get to have those face-to-face -face anymore is taking its toll on the educators as well. You know, moving forward, obviously, this is, you know, going to be the status quo for at least uh, the next month or so. But beyond that, do you think this could have any lasting effects on the education system? Do you think more kids will try, you know, try it out this month and then think, oh, I, you know, homeschooling is not that bad. Maybe I should just move to online learning, you know. For forever. I don't know about moving to online learning. You know, a lot of students do like to see their friends at school and they like to do the social activities or the sports that come with schooling. However, I did talk to a lot of teachers about um, remediation that may need to happen in the future. And a lot of them said that, you know, there probably will need to be some remediation when school starts back up, whenever that may be. We don't know right now. Um, but they said at least everybody is in the same boat. It's not some students are learning at home and some are learning at school. And so everybody will need the same remediation. So it will make it easier when things do resume to normal. You know, the other thing I was thinking about, and this is not so much a Florida thing, although I guess it could be in a different scenario. That'll make sense when I explain what I'm talking about. But I was thinking about uh, snow days because I'm from Maryland. Um, and I guess you get weather-related closings here, too, with hurricanes and stuff like that. Do you think those will kind of go away now that everyone's figured out, you know, in a pinch, we can still learn from home? Like, there's no, there's no rest for the wicked here. Do you think those will, just in your own opinion? Um, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. I'm from Missouri myself, so we had quite a few snow days, and those were some of the best days growing up. I do know that they don't take as many days off here because weather is so nice all the time. So I'm not 
actually really sure, but that would be interesting to see if that happens. We like to keep it light here on this show. And I know that you you and me personally, we've had many conversations about our past uh, sports moments because you used to be uh, an athlete yourself. Sure. Uh, still are in, in rec league. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask, how are you dealing with, uh, you know, kind of being stuck inside? Do you miss kind of getting outside and being active and all that? Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm not doing well with staying inside. I'm not a good sitter. I have to be moving or doing something with my hands a lot of the times. And um, as you know, I play kickball and rec softball. And so, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays were my happy days. You know, I get to relieve stress on the field and and have some fun with my friends. So it's definitely been hard. Um, I've been going on jogs and taking Piper for walks, thinking about buying a bike because I just need to get outside more than what I'm doing right now. What do you miss most about? Is it just like seeing, uh, you know, seeing your teammates, seeing your people, or is it the actual kind of events of, of moving and feeling that rush? I think a little bit of both. Um, definitely our softball team is not the best. And I say that with the most love because it's full of all of our observer colleagues, but we are definitely the worst team in the league. So I can't say there's much of a rush there except for, you know, somebody gets a good hit or we make a good play. That's always exciting. But we are, we have never won a game. So (laughs) I can't say that that's there. But I do love just getting to see my colleagues and my friends outside of work and, you know, just have a relaxing time with them. In uh, in lieu of sports, how have you kind of been filling your time? What What have you been doing? Oh, gosh. All kinds of stuff. Um, <laughs> I've been making a lot of bread as a lot of people online are. Um, I've been playing Animal Crossing and, okay, this is kind of embarrassing, but I've been making bandanas for dogs um, because I can't sit still. So I needed something to do with my hands. So that's what I've been doing. <laughs> now, when you say bandanas for dogs, do you mean like for them uh, to use as masks as a lot of people are, or is this just like a fashion, a fashion statement? No, it's purely for fashion. I don't know how I would even begin to make a mask for a dog. I don't know either. Maybe I thought you were some sort of like wizard that you could have figured out a a way to do that, but no, No. that's, that's still very cool. Um, What inspired you to, to go that route? You know, I don't really know. I've always enjoyed crafting things. I have a craft cart That's my Jessica Day for new girl side of me. But I think we took Piper to get groomed and she had a really cute bandana after she got done. And I was like, oh, that's really cute. I'm going to make more of those. So instantly went to the craft store. So been been interesting. (laughs) To go back to more important stuff, I guess, for a second, even though I could talk about dog bandanas all day, has being at home and and working from home, you know, we talked about your station, but has it changed the way you actually do your job at all? Um, Yeah, definitely. I think one of the best parts for me about journalism is that you get to meet all these amazing people and have these really incredible conversations and kind of really be a fly on the wall for a lot of important moments in people's lives. And so what's been hard for me is sitting at home and just kind of having those people relive those moments. So you don't get to see as much of the excitement or the passion that they would have because they're relaying it to you over the phone. And a lot of people don't like to brag about themselves. So I feel like I've been missing a lot of that human aspect in stories, which to me is so important. Yeah, I completely agree. I have always 
tried, you know, I'm on the sports side of things, but I always try and use uh, my eyes first and kind of describing scenes to people and that, uh, you know, not being able to do that really um, over the past month has been hard just uh, as a writer because I'm just like, ah, oh, there's no, there's no color here. But I don't know. I don't know if you feel similarly or not. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. I do have a lot of different areas that I cover. So in a government story, I couldn't maybe use as much color, but definitely in my school features, I love to be able to go in the classrooms and just see, especially the younger kids, see how they react to things because those make such beautiful anecdotes and stories. And so the fact that I just now have to talk to a teacher and, and you know, what happened and why, why was this amazing? You know, not that they don't tell great stories, but it's just not a replacement to see the excitement on a, a child's face when they are happy about something. You know, speaking of stories, you've been at The Observer for what? Is it, is it two years? Is it more than two years? I can't keep track of time. <laughs> it's been a little over a year. I started January 2019, so I'm about a year and almost a half. Do you have any like favorite anecdotes or something that happened to you during that time that you could share for people? <laughs> so, there are so many weird things that I think have happened to me, but I'm trying to... Let me see. Not to spring this on you. But. Yes. I think one of the favorite stories that I've done was actually one of the first videos that I did for The Observer. I talked to this guy who opened a clock store and all of these, he had like hundreds and hundreds of clocks and none of them were set to the right time. Like they were all on different time schedules. And in the process of me interviewing him, you just hear all these TikToks and chimes and he would be able to tell you exactly which clock was going to go off and when. And so we, in the middle of our conversation, he'd go, oh, that one's going to go off next. And so we'd run over and go look at it. So it was definitely, I think, challenging to, to do an interview, especially over video with all those pauses. But it was so interesting to me that he knew out of these hundreds and hundreds of clocks, which one was going to go off what it was going to sound like, and what it was going to do at any given time of the day. Isn't it amazing, like, the knowledge people have of their... I'm always, like, amazed when I meet truly, like, a, a master of, like, a niche thing, and they just know everything about it inside and out. It's one of my favorite parts of the job. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this man, he could tell me the exact history of the clocks and what year they were from. And one was from the Knights of Templar. So it was just, I was learning all this history about something that I didn't going into the interview, I was like, all right, clocks, cool. Like, my grandpa has a clock. I don't, I just use my phone. I don't know. But it was so cool to see his excitement and his love for these clocks. So Bryn, how do you even find a story like that in the first place? Because it seems like a pretty uh, unique thing to find. Yeah, it was um, a combination of things. I had been walking in Burns Court, um, I think for the chalk festival I was filming, and I saw his shop there, and I thought it looked really interesting. And then about a week later, it was actually Kismet, we got a call from him saying, hey, it was the former owner of Livingston's Amusement Center, and he was like, hey, I switched to this new endeavor. It's something that I'm very passionate about. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the guy that I was interested by when I was in Burns Court already. And so that's just, it just kind of happened like that. And I decided I had to go tackle the story. 
That is really, really cool. Although selfishly, I am disappointed that you didn't say uh, the video we collaborated on about exercise. <laughs> I definitely, <laughs> that one was, um, it was very interesting, but there was definitely some heartbreak involved with that one. So <laughs> I think I've kind of pushed it out of my mind a little bit. That's, that's fair, I guess. I mean, I guess if you consider uh, losing all of our audio the first time we recorded uh, Heartbreak, then yeah, it was, it was bad. But it still turned out okay in the end, I think. Yeah, I think it was funny, but I can't get over the audio. <laughs> there are some things you just can never let go of as a journalist. Absolutely. Well, Bryn, I could uh, talk about journalism stories with you forever, but unfortunately we have to wrap it up. Um, do you have any stories that you would want people to check out or do you want people to follow you on social media? Yes, all of the above. So you can obviously read everybody's stories at yourobserver.com, um, but also follow me on Twitter. I love Twitter. I run it for the Observer, so please follow me. My handle is at Bryn Meacham. Um, should I spell that? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. It's Bryn is B-R-Y-N-N and then Meacham is M-E-C-H-E-M. Bryn, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, I hope you come back soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ryan.